Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yeah, the, the day has just begun. I'm I'm maybe, what, 10 minutes out of bed. Yeah, this is early for you on a Sunday. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. You don't have to always disagree. <laughs> the truth can be Do the I truth. always disagree? I don't. Uh, mm. No, I don't. You're very defensive. I'm not defensive. <laughs> you have a defensive tone right now. <laughs> I know. I was, I was being funny. I'm self-aware. Uh, irony. Did you know this is our 100th episode? I was told that by you. How does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel like I've done a lot of talking, I guess. And I don't know how much it's worth, but here we are. Oh. How does it make you feel? Uh, I think it's interesting, considering yeah. I didn't want to do a podcast originally. Because... That was sort of the idea first, and then people had said you should. We should do that. That's um, that's true. I think that we had started when we first started wanting to work on something together. It was not a channel, but it, so it's interesting that I enjoyed doing the podcast the most. Uh huh. I shouldn't say the most. I I like the live videos too. Okay. But probably because the live videos and the podcast required the least amount of effort. <laughs> okay. Well, Making videos where I have to edit them and save them and upload them does take much longer than this. But I also feel like um, I like how I come across better in the podcast or the live videos. Why is that? Because in the regular like YouTube review videos, I feel like I can just talk about the movie uh-huh. so i feel like I'm, I'm i'm in a cage but okay so you're like the Alyssa edwards of this podcast <laughs> how so this... but just fine being herself just can't but can't learn any other lines or have any other constraints wow so yeah so i do enjoy it but um the past two week period we've had the most downloads and streams thus far so that's a nice way to hit a hundred also compared to this period one year ago we have like almost 500 percent more streams and downloads wow it sounds significant i don't know i don't understand these metrics i've tried quite a bit to get a sense of what other podcasts do and that information is not really it, this isn't a situation where it's like i have one book and then i have two and that's 50 percent more no, no. I mean, it's significant, the, the growth, but I just, you know, it's it's not like YouTube where metrics are much more visible. So it's hard to, not that I'm interested in comparing. I And I can barely keep up with what we do now. So it's not oh like, boy. it's not like having a hundred times more um, engagement. I mean, it would be nice, but but we have but of those 100 podcasts not 100 of them because we first started out trying to do different subjects and that proved to be tasking well yeah well coming up i don't think it's hard i don't think it's difficult to come up with something to say no but just but, I, like, but i think having a specific topic was challenging because mm -hmm. i feel like i cringe listening to the earlier ones um why I don't know. I I enjoy listening to the later ones. They make me laugh, but the okay. initial ones I feel awkward. But but maybe that's just me. Anyway, um, 
I, I also felt constrained, like, oh, we have to talk about this specific thing. And then my brain wants to, you know, I can very easily get distracted and go off on a tangent. So we evolved into doing what I think make it makes me laugh every time we say it because um, we say it's a secret movie, <laughs> but it's not a secret to anyone listening because it's always the name of the episode. <laughs> well, right, right. And for some reason, I think that's funny, but, um, but it was a secret at one point in time, but like, well, all it, well, it usually is a secret until you say what it is. Mm-hmm. So, or I tell you what I want to watch. But I think once we switched to that, it made things a lot easier because then I knew that we could talk about whatever we wanted for 45 minutes and then at the end wrap up whatever movie we watched. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again we have to say thank you because we want to to all of the people who sponsored the podcast so oh yes of course yeah so people can go on spotify and pledge like monthly donations to the podcast and so people have been doing it which is wild so thank you yeah and oh and i also want to say people do send us a lot of stuff and i don't always remember to like post about it but we do receive it and it's really nice Mm-hmm. Um, that that people do that people have sent like their artwork um people send money gift cards uh music gifts i mean just all kinds of things some it, interesting letters that you know frankly are quite poetic because yeah you know it's a kind of correspondence that maybe is a little one-ended but it also there's a certain poetry well and in some that. things i don't post because it feels kind of like i don't know what people want shared so i err on the side of especially the more like personal things obviously but sure yeah yeah yeah, but we get a lot of things um the p.o box is listed below uh in in the show description but i got mixed up with youtube anyway um yeah so thank you to everyone for being so nice to us i'm gonna make a a really hard transition to do you know the rapper pros I don't think so. He's a member of the Fugees. Okay, yes, I do. That. So there was Lauren Hill, Wyclef Jean, oh, yeah, and yeah. Praz. Praz is facing uh, a twenty-two, a, a possible twenty-two-year prison sentence for after rejecting a plea deal associated with a slew of charges, including his alleged involvement in a money a money laundering scheme and association with a foreign country attempting to influence the u.s government so i'm like what the hell did he do because you know there's another rapper john forte who was associated with wyclef who received a bunch of prison time for i think like drug trafficking or something so this caught my eye as well but apparently like pros donated over a million dollars to barack obama's 2016 campaign which uh some of that money came from some person named jow joe lao i'm sure i'm mispronouncing that but this is a person who's behind um something i I don't know what any of this is one malaysia development burhard scandal um and this person's intention was to benefit from praz's relationship with obama and then obama also don't or praz also donated to donald trump's campaign through the same um person from china with the intention of um, appealing to the Trump administration to make like a embezzlement case go away, whatever. I don't understand all of this except Proz is in trouble. And I didn't, what really caught my attention is that the federal government has already seized um, 
$74 million from four of Praz's bank accounts. Mm. I was surprised to read that Praz had $74 million. <laughs> Well, so that's the government saying, ready or not, here I come. You can't hide. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) literally. So, yeah, I just thought that was wild. I I know it's random, so I'll move on. And then I had already talked to you about this story, but there is a guy, a, a Compton man, who robbed more than 20 gay men. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did talk about that. on Grindr. Yeah, you got to be careful out there. His name is Derek Patterson. He's 22 years old. He's charged in federal criminal complaint uh, regarding all of these robberies that span from like 2019 to 2022. But yeah, he was visiting people's hotel rooms, their homes uh, for sex using the app Grinder, And then he would pull out different weapons like knives or taser guns. And in some cases, assaulted these people um, and would steal from them, steal their wallets, steal their phones. Um, you know, I'm surprised this kind of stuff doesn't happen more often, uh, yeah. the way the the risky behavior that uh, goes on. But of course, he got caught because he was using like these people's phones and forcing them to unlock them so he could Venmo himself money. I mean, yeah, he sounds like a young fool, but he uh, physically assaulted people like he stabs uh, like at least one victim. He uh, he was doing it at hotels like hotels by the LAX airport. See that 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 blows my mind because where where you know there are cameras. Well, there are cameras, but also as the victim, not to victim shame or steam like. I would be making some noise. I don't know why you you're not taking my money. You're well, not taking my things. I imagine that some people don't want to cause a scene or maybe they're like not, you know, maybe some of these people are married. Sure. The, I'm, I'm sure everyone has their little their they, reasons, but yeah, they don't want to be me. embarrassed. So it's like, here, take my wallet. I mean, if someone stole my wallet, they're only going to get my lucky $2 bill because I don't keep cash. Mm-hmm, and same. if I did keep cash, it would be not a significant amount and then they'd have all my credit cards but it's like well i can cancel all that the biggest thing would be my driver's license because now they know my address and i'd be afraid i guess that they would although i can't imagine someone coming to my house but yeah i mean there are reasons why people freeze or don't do anything but i really brought it up just to say like and even if i did froze uh i'm a vindictive motherfucker so i don't know that i just that it just wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. Well, would... I don't recommend people fight back over money. Uh, you know, someone carjacks you. Don't try to fight for. Of your course car. not. But uh, you know. But the main reason I brought it up is just to remind people that they need to, you know, you should ex- you should be comfortable with the things you agree to do, and a lot of shit people do just hearing it, like the basic story, sounds really sketchy. So I think people need to adjust their barometer of like what seems sketchy and if people make you uncomfortable you deserve to be comfortable so like if you're like if if someone doesn't want to there are all kinds of red flags oh yeah yeah right like weird pictures that don't make sense people don't want to share their location with you they're being really vague and super aggressive Mm -hmm. Uh... you know some of you out there like if, if a attractive younger man is being very aggressive about wanting to meet with you you should probably question it like (laughs) not to be shady but you know what i mean if some hot 22 year old was like adamant at coming to my house at like two in the morning that would be a major red flag to me Mm -hmm. there's nothing about me that would make someone hop out of bed at 2 a.m well i don't i don't agree with that well maybe not me but but you know what i mean some of y'all out there i don't know but anyway 
Uh be careful and i always say tell someone anyone what you're doing if you do insist on doing something sketchy which is why i also think that they're based on stuff like this where people have easier access like all these apps where people are using them to hook up i feel like this is proof that probably venues where people used to go to have sex like bathhouses and sex clubs need to come back in fashion because i feel like those are safer spaces there's staff there's you know like it's more contained i mean i know jeffrey Dahmer was up in there snatching fools but like you know it's there's a, there's a different time too but I, you know i think there's something to be said about you know the psychology the psychology of gay men having to grow up in this closeted secretive environments you know even still today and i think during our trans our, our, our formative years that becomes linked with uh titillation with uh, sexual awakening with, with excitement um and I think there's that component to it too. And even if bathhouses really came back in full force, like they did, that used to be the secret thing, but now it, it wouldn't be this. The secret thing is, you know, sniffies or. Well, yes, I, I understand that there's a component of that, but it, it's like, you know, not everything makes sense. Like wanting to do things that are like, fringe stuff that's risky and i understand the appeal of that but it doesn't make sense doing stuff where you could potentially get arrested like if one more person asked me about going to the korean spa like i i know all y'all like to go to the korean spa and have sex but that is not what it is meant for mm-hmm. and i don't like doing things like that i i don't like doing things where i could be arrested like <laughs> Having sex in public places is illegal. Well, also lewd and lascivious conduct is a criminal charge. So I understand all that. And, but but I'm talking more like, even if you do choose to do that, you need to feel safe. And I don't know that people value their safety and maybe some of it is like a self-esteem thing or, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why some people put themselves in such risky situations. I mean, it's complicated. It's not just like, don't do that. It's and again, I think that the risk involved, that that's why cruising areas are still, I think I'd see, you know, cruising areas are coming back more than bathhouses. But again, I think people engage in risky behavior because like they, other people do it and they think it's okay. It's not okay. Just because there are a hundred people out in this park looking for sex does not make it okay. It's still illegal. You could still get in trouble. So I understand it's complex, but it it's just a reminder. Like, I don't know what people need to hear. I mean, I don't know how many times you have to get arrested for something or like, I, I, like, I just don't know what needs to happen. Like, you need to get stabbed and robbed and end up in the newspaper to realize, like, maybe that was not the best idea. But I'm not shaming the victims. I'm just saying. No, like, but there are it, people out here with bad intentions and you need to be careful. And I think a lot, you know, a lot does happen that we don't know about on these apps, too, that that people are doing things like this young man in Compton that because, again, people don't want to report things or maybe it wasn't violent enough or me that again, another myriad of reasons. But this stuff does happen, I think, a lot more than we probably would like to admit. Well, I'll move on to something else. So Time Out uh, did an article about 14 weird things about living in L.A. that you just get used to. So I was going to list them and see what you think. Okay. So number one, 
making plans without checking the weather first oh yeah definitely yeah and that it, and that goes for me traveling anywhere else in the world like what weather yeah well, I, I need a coat but going along with that number two is but also not going anywhere when it rains oh that's not true for me but well you're one of uh, again uh i'm from minnesota i can go out in the rain yeah yeah i i value my comfort more than insisting i do something i had my mind set on uh we know driving to and from bars <laughs> that's a big one because everyone drives here and everyone has a few drinks and then they drive back home yeah. and that's very common it is very common and you know i and got illegal <laughs> yeah i somebody did a, a hit and run on me and totaled my car right early 2020 uh so, but we live in a new place now and I, I walk if I can, uh, I will say, you know, Akbar or even the Eagle, there's always parking around there. I notice, and those places are packed. So a lot of, I will say there are a lot of people that don't engage in that behavior as well. You know, but I, I think if you can, like, I, if you insist on going out drinking, going to a place where you could potentially walk or close enough that you don't mind paying for the, a detriment that is a ride home you know i feel like there's been a, a shift in like uber and lyft because you know these surge prices the, uh, these surge prices when everybody has leaving the bar in mass at the same time are pretty ridiculous so i know that causes a lot of people to drive drunk because they don't want to pay 60 dollars to go two or three miles in an uber and i i get it that that is annoying but uh you might as well start walking a little ways then and then <laughs> oh, yeah i mean something like don't wait till the don't wait until you get i mean also you know my personality no one's kicking me out of a bar i will leave when i'm ready like i'm not gonna have someone tell me the lights are on and so maybe not closing shit down makes sense or walking 20 minutes before you call the car and maybe it's cheaper but yeah it, it's kind of astonishing how many people hop into the car after they've been drinking. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, that is the true of this city. Number four, measuring distances in minutes and not miles. I think that's very LA. Uh, yeah. Like you'll say like, oh, it's going to take me like 45 minutes. Because it, it doesn't matter how far it doesn't away it matter is. How many... <laughs> uh, always give yourself at least an hour, even if you're two to three miles away. But Which is funny for people who visit from out of town and they'll say like oh well i thought we could do this it's it looks like it's only six miles away and it's like that would take like 90 minutes like oh <laughs> that's a headache that's a headache like driving to santa monica oh no just like oh no only at late at night number five assuming that just about every menu will have gluten-free and vegan options with the calories listed yeah mm -hmm. that's very la putting the word the before freeways like i took the 101 or the 110 well because freeways are a way of life uh, <laughs> yeah I, I feel like freeways are like a like they're an in, they're an entity unto an themselves entity, yeah. yeah and they have personalities like oh they we do all yeah know. <laughs> the, there are difficult parts of them there are their truck quarters there are uh express uh, lanes and some of them that are a gift a gift i tell you acting like number seven is acting like earthquakes are no big deal well because you can't it, but it's like mary joe but it's just like we all got this bullet in our brain and oh something could God. shift at any moment and we're just gonna die number eight nobody seems to drink the tap water oh yeah i mean well i used i to. used to too I, like i used to but i think it's 
because you know the Department of Water and Power says that the water is safe and clean, but I think the issue is um, that these pipes don't seem. Which is ironic that the very first place we lived in when we moved to um, L.A. was an old building, so I'm mm-hmm. sure it had old pipes. Oh yeah, and that's where I would drink the tap water. Yeah, same. And now that we live in a brand new house with brand new pipes, I don't drink the Where's tap water. Where's my Brita? Yeah, where's my Brita filter? Um, number nine, you can valet park just about anywhere. We don't valet park. I don't ever valet park, but I guess, yeah, in a city like LA where everyone has a car and it's crowded, I, I, I guess I don't notice it in other places. I think that shit's annoying because there is valet parking where it's not feasible as in you have like a two, like on Melrose in certain areas, like there are two lanes and then parts of one lane get shut down because this restaurant wants these fools out here, valet parking to go into Asteria or wherever. Like, God. Yeah. I, I hate that. Like park your own damn car around the street and walk your ass to the front of that goddamn fucking restaurant. So traffic, which is terrible here, can flow freely. Not so you can valet so you can eat uh, spaghetti. Oh, I hate that. But I also think you learn what area like I know like the restaurant you're talking about I know that you know between certain hours I just don't go down that road because like this is not that expensive of a restaurant you're gonna valet park just take an uber then just lift or just oh god I hate it number 10 there's a fifth season and it's fire season yeah that's kind of um fire season's creepy yeah I was gonna say it's kind of creepy actually because every year it's just like these massive fires and then like now that there's all there's been all this rain for the past month you know the hills like those dry areas are full of grass Mm -hmm. but then it's like in six months it's all going to dry out and they're going to be engulfed in flames yeah and you can see depending on where you are in the city i mean we've been here what 12 years now and there have been a couple times where ashes are floating in the air yeah uh number 11 there are coyotes everywhere you don't um, really see that. We I've see, never seen a coyote, but I know that there are coyotes. I see opossums and um, skunks. There are some and skunks raccoons. and raccoons. Yeah. Number 12, there are Teslas everywhere. This is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our little community we live in, there are eight homes and there are three Teslas. <laughs> uh, somebody, uh, some rando came into the shared driveway and plugged his Tesla in. <laughs> the other day this nerdy ass man and he it was so funny to watch like this he looked like he yeah he looked like he probably worked in tech and he was all oh he's not used to confrontation he's not used to confrontation and i'm like excuse me <laughs> and he it was almost i almost felt embarrassed i like, felt for, embarrassed for, i had for to turn away because yeah I, <laughs> I was so embarrassed that this man was so like because it wasn't our outlet and he's like please don't tell them like well that's what we already did fool yeah, but okay happening? like why are you here um, my num- car almost died <laughs> okay number 13 there's legal weed everywhere um mm-hmm. i guess i don't notice that um i also am not a big consumer of marijuana there there is well it's hard to notice it's weird going to europe because all the pharmacies well not all the i'm mainly france and germany i guess i've noticed where the Pharmacies have that glowing electric pharmacy sign, green electric pharmacy sign. But here, those are all the weed shops. Oh. So when I'm there, I'm always like, oh, it's a we- oh, it's a pharmacy. But yeah, I'm not. Well, in the transition from 
medicinal marijuana to recreational really changed a lot of things because before when it was only medicinal you would have all these people out here doing these fake like hmps trying to find a reason why you might need medicinal which of course anyone would qualify insomnia anxiety whatever and now that it's just free for everyone i i feel like it's not as intrusive it's not and you used to have to go through this whole song and dance of going up into some clandestine little pocket of something at a strip mall and then them typing in your information and being like, Oh, another patient has arrived. The next patient can go in like, okay. Okay. All right. Moving on. So the Oscars were last Sunday. Feels we like recorded long. right before we went to go see the Oscars. That feels like longer ago, but so, uh, and we watched them at a vegan bar and grill in Silver Lake, which mm-hmm. was very nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, called Junkyard Dog Bar and Grill, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, people were asking if we were going to do a video about it. No. No. <laughs> well, honestly, I I enjoyed watching them this year, but there was nothing. The only thing that sticks out to me is the Fablemans, which was nominated for seven Academy Awards, didn't win any. Mm-hmm. which I thought was appropriate. And neither did Tar, right? Tar didn't win anything. I don't think it won anything. Well, let's go through a few of the categories, I guess. So I think one that people were surprised with was actress in a supporting role. Oh, yeah. Yep. Jamie Lee Curtis won for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I, you know, you can see on Angela Bassett's face when Jamie Lee Curtis was announced that she was a little like. Oh, yeah. She was expecting <laughs> to win. She was expecting to do the thing that night. Um, I have seen all of the nominated performances except Angela Bassett's, so I can't say whether or not she didn't deserve it. But I think that you'll find that she's quite good in it, but it is a, a, a superhero movie. And I think that the Academy is really reluctant to start that trend, maybe. Actor in a supporting role, uh, Kihi Kwan won for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think that was expected. I have seen all of these performances. Um, I think they're all really good um yeah so i would have been happy with he had a very uh, both him and jamie lee's speeches i thought were very nice yeah for sure um international feature film all quiet on the western front yeah yeah i haven't seen that so it's very it's a very well done war spectacle uh, taking some liberties on the remark novel documentary feature navalny one um the only one I had seen was All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which that, I thought was amazing. That's what I wanted to win. Navalny is very much making a statement by that winning. but Best actor in a leading role went to Brendan Fraser for The Whale. Um, I, think I it, had predicted that. I kind of, I mean, I wouldn't have been mad if Austin Butler won. I would have been super irritated if he won. I That movie's not good. Yeah, but his performance, I think, was... I know he put a lot into it. He did, but I we just Baz Luhrmann needs to stop. But uh, I didn't see Living. Living's good. Who would you have chosen for actor in a leading role? Well, I don't think I would have nominated several of those people. Oh. Uh, but of the people who were nominated, you know, Brendan Fraser did a good job uh, in a mediocre film. Actress, I don't know. I'm not actress mad at in it, a either. leading role went to Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I would have given it to Kate Blanchett. I would have given it to Kate. I think that is Kate's performance in that is a very rare gem. Michelle is also excellent in everything, everywhere, all at once. But we, you and I have talked about this a lot. And that to me, that's, you know, kind of more of 
the film itself than her performance. But I think she's great in it. I'm not mad that she won. And she's the first Asian woman to win Best Actress and the first woman of color to win this award since Halle Berry. So it's like, you know, it's... I think... I'm I'm happy that she won. I I don't think it's not deserved. I oh, yeah, just, I agree. I mean, what Kate Blanchett did in Tar is like whoa. Uh, it re- really, I didn't see too Leslie. I think Anna De Armas. I didn't care for Blonde. I didn't hate it like some people did, or do. But I think Anna De Armas. I I think she did. If I have to choose between her and Austin Butler, I think Austin Butler did a little bit more than she did, as far as the performance. But really, anyone but Michelle Williams could have won. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I would not been, want that lady to win. Any upset would have been uh, of of interest, except for that one. Uh, for director, went to the Daniels, which I think I've seen all of the nominated movies for director, and I think the Daniels definitely. Oh, I agree. Deserve that one. And then best picture went to Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was also my selection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was. I had fun watching it, but it wasn't really. I thought Jimmy Kimmel was funny. I thought Jimmy was funny. He wasn't trying too hard. It felt I like, like that he shot out some black films and black or some black uh, female performances. Well, well, he shot out Till and The Woman King. Yeah, for their <laughs> like, like they didn't get nominated, but these are worthy of your attention. Yeah, which is I don't know if that was off script, kind of like what Kim Basinger did about uh, do the right thing uh, when she when she presented an award at the Oscars and what year was that? That would have been ninety. Okay, well, let us take a break. All right. Mm. I do have a question for us because we received several comments. Um, anytime we have a string of reviews we publish that aren't the most positive, we get a bunch of questions about basically like, why why do we even bother reviewing bad movies? So that's the question. Um, I think you would agree. Uh, we don't know the movies are bad until we watch them. <laughs> right. That, the, well, that's the point of criticism is to experience it. And then you come up with uh, an opinion. Uh, you articulate your opinion. And, and that is what criticism is. So Also, I, you know, obviously you've watched enough films that you can tell from the, you know, the, the people involved in the project, right? Like the director, the actors, the, the log line, the trailer sometimes or the poster, that it's not going to be a well done movie, but sometimes they're fun mm-hmm. to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there are certain movies like, you know, what's the one with Martin Lawrence and John Malkovich? Mind Hunter or no? No, Mind Cage. Mind Cage. We knew that was going to be terrible. Yeah. So, but we thought it might be fun to talk about and it would definitely be something fun to watch because bad movies are fun to watch sometimes. That's true too. Yeah. And also I'm watching them to review them. So it's not like I'm going to spend 2 hours taking notes to them be like, well, it's bad I'm not going to review it. Yeah, it's part of the work actually. Part of the part of the labor involved in criticism is the time taken to watch the film. And then this is my, you know, th- there are all kinds of like at film festivals for instance, I hear a lot of like notable critics being like, I didn't sit through that not to write about it. Like I'm, I'm that going, would be my attitude. I'm going actually, to, I'm going to make something of, of this, you know, and, and the reason that's my attitude and maybe people don't realize this is publicists send emails asking you to watch them. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not like you begging to watch a movie. This is like, people are asking, especially the, the, the more indie, like non-studio, lower budget things people are pretty aggressive about wanting you to watch because they have to be there's so much content so you know they they have to 
if you're on a, a list, they, they are going to be begging you. So imagine being asked to do something and then it's like, well, I, I did it and I have to give my honest opinion. I did the thing. <laughs> yeah. And now here's this thing. And you know, if you don't like hearing negative opinions, then don't watch. But the thing, it's not about being negative. It's about being authentic. My authentic opinion is I didn't like the steaming pile of shit, but when I could, you know, credit where credit is due, what attracts me to a film cinema is that everything is, it's an intricate, intricate collaboration. And I like that collision often of all of these people that are involved in making something happen there. That's what's fascinating about film. That's why, you know, auteur theory is kind of a problem because it's not just the director. It's not just the actors, not just the faces of the project. It's everything involved. There's a lot of intricate detail, but if you're, you know, a, a lazy viewer who just wants to consume and shit it out and not have a second okay, thought about it. Well, let's move on. So films released, we didn't cover something called full river red. Uh, well, I'm actually watching that right now. It's two and a half hours. Um, what is it? It's uh, it's the next film by uh, Zhang Yimao, who's you know a very prolific uh, Chinese film director. He's won Berlin and won Venice twice, and uh, probably best known for things like Hero and House of Flying Daggers, I believe. But uh, he has a new movie that opened this week, which they were reluctant to give me the screener of uh, because the Chinese producers were. You know, it's odd that this didn't show up. He works like once or twice a year. It's odd it didn't show up at a major film festival, but it's it's quite dry to me. It's a uh, period piece set during the Southern Song Dynasty, uh, where some there's some entanglements happening between these two warring factions, and it's a lot of talking. Uh, I'm, I'm, but it looks great because he's a fantastic filmmaker. But I, I have to say, it's been kind of a slog to get through next inside i saw this in berlin uh which was in the panorama sidebar it's the debut from vasily katsupis starring willem dafoe uh, as an art thief who gets stuck in this mausoleum of an apartment uh for it's quite like some a penthouse time. yeah and he gets locked inside and it seems to have from the trailer it looked like there was a supernatural component there's not it's him and him struggling to survive how, why how, how long is he locked in there it's weeks at least and so he only has the food that's in the that's house that's there which includes like dog food and so he ends up eating dog food mm -hmm. and then of course there's running water there's not everything's shut off I oh believe. so he's like he doesn't have water to everything's drink. shut off because the person who owns it is like overseas somewhere i forget where uh but there's like an because this is a rich person's penthouse and there are trees inside like like this person has a garden with a sprinkler system so he has to get the water from there uh, and then he's pooping in the pool uh the empty pool which <laughs> oh my god and it's, it's willem dafoe it's a one-man show and you can tell it's it's a role that an actor like him really relishes and he's good in it but does he end up getting out it's um, the, the ending is ambiguous uh but are you satisfied with this movie? I was a little bored. I, oh. it, it felt a little long. And I also feel like I've seen things like this before. Uh, like what? You know, I think especially since the pandemic, it's all of these films that are one or two in settings when, in yeah. isolation. And um, I don't know. It, it's fine. If you like him, of course, it's required viewing. But all those press screenings were done by the time I came back from Berlin in the U.S. So you didn't see it.
next rodeo i saw this at can last year it was in the in certain regard sidebar i believe it's a debut uh loa quiveron um again you know i've noticed a lot of these uh beginning filmmakers out of france a lot of like these kind of urban character studies that are filled with violence and tragedy that all kind of feels kind of the same way, uh, which is to say usually really great central performances built around a story that I feel was cobbled together and maybe not completely outlined or certain points had to be hit. And that's it because they're trying to get this very natural flow within these environments again, which is fine, but I feel like what's happening in rodeo I've already seen, but the lead uh, actor, Julie Ledru is quite striking and quite good. It's about this girl, that uh, young woman that goes around and steals these motorbikes. Like she's saying, she, like she finds one for sale on the internet and says she's going to look at it and ask for a test drive and then just drives off. Um, and it, it ends with some violence and some fire, which is a little shocking, but good for a debut film. I'll leave it at that. Moving on, something called Rimini. I had wanted us to watch this because I have a screener for it, and it was actually my favorite film out of Berlin 2022, Ulrich Seidel film about this weird lounge singer father who reconnects with his daughter. Uh, <laughs> very bizarre film, but I quite liked it. Lastly, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. Directed by Austin and Meredith Bragg. I don't really know anything about this film except it's about, it's a, a reenactment of the men that or the man that uh took over when there because there used to be a law against pinball machines and when that was over the, the man responsible for getting that law overturned there that's touched upon in the film licorice pizza what what's the problem with pinball machines i don't know like gambling or I, my, maybe, noise? I, I don't know what it was but there was there was uh well i'm not interested enough to watch the movie but I'm not either, but you know, moving there. on. <laughs> Projects of interest: Washington G two. I think these are just notes, and you should. Okay, the, those are points for me to hit. But Denzel Washington has joined. Well, you don't. Well, I, what what would I have said based on what you wrote? Nothing, I guess. So how would I introduce this topic? I don't know oh. because it's not a newly announced film. Gladiator two has been in the works for a long time, uh, from Ridley Scott, and Paul Mescal is playing the child of. Russell, no, the child of Joaquin Phoenix and Connie Nielsen. Anyway, Denzel Washington is just apparently joined that cast, which I don't know what he's going to play in that world, but <laughs> I'll let you introduce the next project of interest. Uh, a new film from Argentinian filmmaker Pablo Aguero, uh, who's lined up a great cast, including Diane Kruger, Louis Guerrero, and Vincent Cassell. It's called Sant X. Uh, of course, Pablo Guerrero is probably best known for his first feature starring Gael Garcia Bernal, which was Ava Doesn't Sleep. Uh, Ava is a reference to Ava Peron. And I haven't seen, that reminds me, I, 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 it premiered at the 2020 San Sebastian Film Festival. And we all know the crazy bucket of shit the world was then. So he directed a film, the English title is Coven. Uh, it's a period piece about witches. That's all I know. And I've been waiting to see that film. And I Apparently, it ended up on Netflix sometime in 2021, so I have to go check that out. Okay, movies for fun. Buck and the Preacher. Uh, yes, which I need. I'm supposed to. I was supposed to review months ago. Uh, for this Criterion release, it's the directorial debut of Sidney Poitier, in which he united himself with Harry Belafonte uh, as the two leads, Buck and the Preacher, and it's set in 1860s 
well, from Louisiana to Kansas. And Buck, played by Poitiers, is a, a wagoner who is hired to provide free transport for these ex-slaves that are trying to get away from this continued servitude in their area because you know as we all know you know slavery legally ended but these white people found all kinds of ways to keep them uh down in uh the likeness of slavery so it was about a mass exodus of people trying to get safely to kansas for instance where they could uh harvest their own crops etc instead of having to work for essentially these people that are still white masters but of course um these these White people didn't want that, so they were often threatened to go back if their caravans were stopped. So Buck is this care is this person that was responsible for getting people safe safely and brokering deals with the indigenous populations they meet along the way, who would often help them for payment uh, to kind of stave off these awful white people, so these black people could get somewhere safely. So that's basically what the film is about. And Belafonte is this. Uh, kind of drunken preacher who's maybe a charlatan that comes around to helping uh, Sidney Poitier. But I thought it's very well done. I've seen I've seen almost every film Poitier directed. He directed nine movies, except for, I think except for two, and one of them being his last, which was Ghost Dad, starring Bill Cosby. Next, gang-related. Okay, so you had brought this up because you must have watched it while I was gone. And I'd been trying to get you to watch this for years. So before you spoiled it, you stopped talking about it. And we you watched it again with me last week. What did you think? I liked it more than you did. I think this this kind of uh, B genre movie is very much my jam because it's kind of a neo film noir. I think it has some great character work. Uh, Layla Rashan is transfixing; like she looks amazing. Uh, I, I I think uh, Tupac is used really interestingly. I think this was the last film to come out after his murder because uh, the film is dedicated to him. I, I usually don't like uh, Jim Belushi all that much, but I thought he was in fine form. Dennis Quaid was a lot of fun. Next, the best in show. Uh, well, we were rewatching the Christopher Guest films for Parker Posey. And this, you know, th- I think this might be my favorite Christopher Guest film. Because mm. there's like everyone's firing on all pit. Like there's really nothing wrong with that movie. Yeah. Uh, flare up. Uh, my continuation of uh, mining the uh, forgotten film work of Raquel Welch. This movie was terrible. Uh, Raquel, it's 1969. It's directed by James Nielsen. Raquel plays this Las Vegas dancer whose best friend is gunned down in front of her by an ex-boyfriend. And he also wants to murder Raquel because he thinks she influenced the friend to leave him. And so then she, uh, her boss arranges for her to work secretly as a dancer in Los Angeles. But this man follows and tries to kill her. Meanwhile, she falls in love with the valet at the strip joint who's played by somebody named James Stacy, who had a very interesting uh, career and personal life because he used to be married to Connie Stevens and Kim Darby with whom he had children. Kim Darby is not a screen presence. I really like. And then in the nineties, served six years for the sexual assault of an 11 year old. And even prior to that, I think he was arrested for like prowling on the property containing young women. So I think he had a, like a very terrible end. Um, and he was portrayed by Timothy Oliphant, I believe in once upon a time in Hollywood, the shop on main street. Um, yes, I'd never seen this. It's a, a Czech film classic. I think it won best foreign language film. It, I think it won something out of Cannes, directed by Jan Kadar and Elmar Close, and the lead woman, Ida 
Ida Kaminska was nominated for Best Actress, but it's basically about a, an old, mostly deaf, mostly deaf Jewish woman who in the Aryanization of her town is assigned this man to uh, kind of, you know, take over her business before all the, the Jews are rounded up, but he ends up having feelings for this woman and tries to save her. And so, of course, you can imagine how strenuous and kind of touching that film is, uh, but I'd never seen it. And I, uh, Kadar directed an American film starring Belafonte in 1970 or 71 called The Angel Levine, and Belafonte hadn't done anything in since the 50s and i wanted to watch that but for for some reason i thought i can't not have seen this very notable film classic first dirty gertie from harlem usa uh i this has been on a list of mine to watch for years it's from the 40s uh, directed by spencer williams starring a beautiful woman named francine everett uh it's a black film it's only 60 minutes and it's entertaining. I mean, the print, it, this is really in need of a restoration, but uh, it's about this woman who all the men think are fast and loose. It's really, watching it, it's really a remake of Miss Sadie Thompson, which a silent film of Gloria Swanson that was remade with as Rain with Joan Crawford and then remade very sanitized in the 40s with Rita Hayworth. Um, but she plays this woman that goes to Tobago as a performer with her troupe. She's really fleeing a man that she jilted in New York, who has a following there and of course murdering her. Uh, but she ends up butting heads with this very devout Christian man who is against, you know, everything sexual, uh, much like the Walter Houston character in rain. Uh, but yeah, if, if you'd never heard of it, it, it's, that was an interesting little film. A mighty wind. Uh, I haven't seen this since it was in theaters in 2003. Uh, Christopher Guest film with all the, you know, the gangs all here. I, I have to say this didn't age well for me. Hmm. And didn't you feel the same? Like, I mean, I don't know that it, it would, it would have been good when it came out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that. It, I wouldn't say it didn't age well. I don't think it's that funny, but I, yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't know. Um, Eugene Levy's character I thought was really uh, grating. In that it character. felt like they had an idea and they went with it and it was just kind of like, well, this is the character yeah, and yeah. it just is not funny. And I, I think the problem is it, it's about a, what's, what's funny is taking a world and mocking it in a way that we can all appreciate. Mm -hmm. So I think with the other movies, like, like, like best in show, like, what do I know about pedigree dog mm -hmm. show, whatever, but they made me feel like I understood mm -hmm. this one. It was like, there was a lot of talk about, this type of mute folk music that I just didn't quite. Well, cause it's all coming together for this performance, honoring this folk music producer who died. And I don't know that the topic of folk music is that funny either. Like, mm -hmm. cause it's like, yeah, there, there weren't a lot of personalities versus like best in show is perfect. Cause you mm -hmm. have all these people. Yeah. It, I didn't care for it as much, not nearly as much as the other films. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wait, did I just say? You already said Dirty Gertie. Oh, I'm tired. Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult. Uh, yeah, I put this on because I noticed it was uh, for free somewhere. And I haven't watched this since I was a kid. But yeah, I remember directed by Peter Seagal, who I think did The Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. Uh, there are so many great cameos in this. And this was very... Uh, this as a kid watching this this introduced me to so many 
Hollywood notables that I never would have known. Because, you know, I remember watching this with my parents being like, who's Pia Zadora? Oh, my God, who is this woman named Anna Nicole Smith? Uh, Fred Ward, Weird Al Yankovic, Vanna White. It's such an odd movie. And then, of course, OJ, didn't this come out? This came out in 94. And OJ's in all three of the Naked Gun movies as Nordberg, who's the resident idiot cop. Uh, but what an odd time for this to come out. Yeah, he was he was popping right before the he was the murders because he was also doing those rent a car commercials that were everywhere. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, then another Christopher Guest movie for your consideration, which I enjoyed. I enjoy a lot too. Catherine O'Hara is really good in it. Um, they, they they almost did like a if she had been nominated for an Oscar in this, it would have been like when Maggie Smith won for California suite in the seventies, the Neil Simon. Um, this film's about a product, like, like a film production where there's this buzz about one of the actors potentially being nominated for an Academy award and they run with it. And, and then, it's barely started filming when that buzz starts. And the film hasn't even like wrapped filming. And then everyone thinks that everyone is, because then it turns out like four of the actors might be up for nominations and then, of course, in the end, none of these people are nominated except for the one actor who wasn't talked about. Mm -hmm. He does get a nomination. But um, I don't like it as much as Best in Show, but I do think it's also the the, the timing of it's very interesting because it's also like the internet was still kind of new. Yeah. So them talking about like how to find stuff on the internet yeah. I think, um, does age well. Like that's, that's the kind of reference that does age well because we, we can imagine that people didn't understand the internet back then. So I, I think it works in that way. And where in Parker looked great and uh, had a much more sizable role than Mighty Wind. Uh, and I thought she was a lot of fun as well. Lastly, we watched Wicked Stepmother. Oh, my God. I think, you know, the, there's a reason I hadn't watched as a major Betty Davis fan that I'd never seen her last film because I was very much aware of the the things that happened that made this a compromise movie. Uh, and it was a hard thing to sit through. I mean, this is the worst thing I've watched in a long time. I mean, and I like Larry Cohen. I love God told me to kill. I love um, the stuff and his black exploitation films like black. Sea. I love it's alive. And I, cause I know I made you at least watch the first one. Betty Davis plays. There's a family like kind of a rich family who lives in Hancock park and they in a mansion and the, like the the grandpa of the family ends up like suddenly marrying Betty Davis while his children are away. His his daughter and her husband. Her husband. So she's a witch, and her what she does is she like marries these men, makes them rich, and then kills them so she can take the money. Which is kind of such a stupid plot because if if she, she could just make herself rich because <laughs> right. the, the way she makes the man in this movie rich is she gives him the ability to answer any question. And then he goes on like a Jeopardy type show where he's going to win a bunch of money. So I didn't understand why she couldn't just do that. But right. Betty Davis, first of all, the movie is like, I mean, I guess you'd call it a comedy. Yeah. But it's not funny. The worst part of the movie to me is the the woman playing the daughter of the old man. That's Colleen Camp. She's even worse as a young woman more than she is like, because now she's turned into this kind of bloated character actor that's in a ton of stuff that I, I wouldn't say is any better now with age, but part of it's the script, but her 
her comedic timing and everything about this role is terrible. I rarely use the word hate. I hated her performance in this movie. Well, she's oh, also supposed so to play much. this. You're uh, a very, you have a, live in a rich mansion. And what did you say? She looked like a. She just looked like, I don't know, someone living in like a mobile home in the Midwest somewhere. Like she just didn't even fit the role of. I mean, she looked, well, those bangs didn't help, but like the most basic looking white woman. It, it just like her acting. Oh, and like the way she was acting, the dialogue, everything. I hated it. But so Betty Davis is in the film. And then at a point she dropped out. Mm-hmm. The. I guess they were trying to make it seem like she didn't like the script, but then then you had said that maybe it was like it was reported that she had broke her dentures and couldn't get them fixed in time. And she didn't want to make it seem like she was having health issues because she was afraid that she wouldn't get hired again. Which is funny because she looks like a corpse. She'd look so bad. And I mean, she it's painful it's, to watch her. So I I mean, I would give this film a zero. Um I gave it half a star on Letterboxd, but I mean, it's just like to see Betty Davis, like in a film like this, who had such an amazing career, like this, like well, Hollywood the, legend end the, up in a movie like this. The film she did right beforehand should have been her last, which was the whales of August, which is a really good film, which also stars uh, Lillian Gish. Um, but in, and that's 87. So she wasn't quite in the state of decline. She is here, but it's, it, it is so sad. And to think, what was she? 81 to think, or 80 like somebody like jane fonda now who's even older than that and arita moreno arita moreno yeah it's just like wow well this is why smoking is bad that's true she looks like hell i would not wreck i mean do not watch this movie you will have a really sad image of this legend in your mind i I regret watching it actually moving on to something even more sad uh lance reddick died yeah which i guess was unexpected yeah he was young 60 well, yeah, he was young, but I mean, I thought that it just comes so close on the heels of something that happens to him in another movie, but <laughs> that I thought was a curious move in that movie. But there are no details on how he died, but um, people know him from the John Wick films and the TV show, The Wire. Mm-hmm. So that's sad. Yeah, he's been around for since the mid 90s. Um, but yeah, it is sad. All right, we'll take another break. Today's secret film was your selection. I had asked you to choose something big in honor of our 100th podcast episode. So you chose the 1972 American crime film, The Godfather, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Mm -hmm. I had never seen it. That was part of the reason, and you wanted something to commemorate 100 episodes. And I also, it's been... A long time since I've seen the Godfather film, so I was hungry for it. Um, it's an excellent movie. Oh yeah, it feels I, like a saga. I had a lot of fun watching it. I cannot wait to make you watch Godfather Two, which I like even more. I I I I think it's an excellent movie. It's made very well with very strong performances. I didn't enjoy watching this movie, but I don't generally like gangster type things. <laughs> I, I will say, for gangster, like compared to Goodfellas, I prefer The Godfather. Because I like when the reason I don't like Goodfellas is because there's like no respect in any of it. Mm-hmm. These people don't even respect each other. Mm-hmm. In The Godfather, I, I like that there's this idea of respect. And so, like Marlon Brand, like Don Corleone, Marlon Brando's character, um, 
I kind of liked him. You know, yeah. The opening scene I thought was excellent. Uh huh. So there are a lot of people in this movie. Uh huh. I had to spend most of this time. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I almost had to draw you like a a map, like if you're reading War and Peace, because you're like, who is that? How are they related again? This who is, is this? This is like, I mean, it's almost like fantasy, like Lord of the Rings to me, which is why I don't like those kind of movies either. They're so, that's my very first note is there are, there are so many characters. There's so much going on <laughs> and I don't like that. But um, yeah, there are so many people in this. Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Robert Duvall, um, Diane Keaton, who I was unrecognizable I, to me. I, I, I was Abe kind of Vagoda. I was kind of joking when I'm like, do you know who that is? <laughs> when Tanya Shire. Mm-hmm. I'm just naming people who I recognize. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's the story itself is and more Richard Conti, uh, Sterling Hayden. Uh, I think John Cazali is a really interesting person to talk about as Fredo. I'm gonna try to tell the basic story for people who don't know the Godfather. Um, so there is Marlon Brando is like the head of this family, Don Carleone, and they are like organized crime, but they, I, I think their main business is gambling. Yes. And, uh, do they say women too? But yeah. Why? Well, I, I think he says they're fine with dealing because, pl- okay. So there's the Don Corleone. Is, am I saying it right? Or Carleone? Well, that they're, they're some Corleone. Corleone is, um... Corleone. Okay. <laughs> Well, there are people pronounce it differently even within the film, but I, Corleone's fine. Anyway, Marlon Brando is this uh, big guy, and one day he's approached to join forces with another sort of like mob boss type character who wants assistance running drugs. Well, that is, I don't think he's a mob boss. That's Salozzo, played by Al Lattieri, and he's working with the Tatalia family. <laughs> See, all these names. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep it simple. Marlon Brando gets approached to work with another family to help run drugs. And Marlon Brando says, you know, like, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. That that goes past what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, he has some integrity, I guess. Um, he, well, because he knows, he's like, this is going bite to bite us in the ass down the line. So he, Marlon Brando, sends one of his henchmen to go talk to this family, like kind of undercover. Like he says, go over there and pretend like you might want to work for them and get me the inside scoop. So this employee goes over there and they kill his employee. Mm -hmm. So then there's kind of like, now it's war. And I was very shocked. Like within the first like 45 minutes, Marlon Brando gets shot up. Mm -hmm. So he's in the hospital, like in a bad way. And he's pretty bad for the entire movie. So now it's like so things then, are tense. So then this. it's up to his children. So you have Sonny, the hothead, played by James Caan. Uh, and you have Fredo, who's kind of useless, played by uh, John Cazale. And then you have um, the young son who's tried to remove himself from the family, which is Michael, played by Al Pacino. So Al Pacino. So And then ro- notably Robert Duvall is an adopted son, the conciliori, who's basically so a lawyer and brando has four sons one of whom's adopted and three of them are involved in the family business but al pacino is like he's distanced himself he's like a war hero mm-hmm. but he things take a turn because it is al pacino's character who decides to get vengeance on his dad's um, attack so he kills the mob boss and 
the police captain, the police captain, played by Sterling Hayden. So then the movie takes another turn that I that I was not expecting, which is they send Al Pacino to Sicily, like to be in hiding. Mm-hmm. And then there's an entirely different movie about <laughs> Al Pacino in Sicily getting married to some lady and Apollonia. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, Al Pacino takes over the family business. Mm-hmm. And tries to, and wants to move the gambling to Vegas. He wants to move the family business to Vegas, but he also needs to take care of the people who wronged him. Mm-hmm. So because Sonny gets murdered, so then he has the mob, like like all the people who were involved in all that drama. He has them killed, and then that's the end of the movie. We see that he's in charge. His Marlon Brando dies from like natural causes. Well, and I'm assuming Godfather she, Two picks up where this one left off. Uh, I don't remember the time lapse because it's been so long, but I, there are very clear things involving Kay and Fredo that I remember that it, it's even more heightened. And then, of course, De Niro stars as the young version of Vito um, with Robert De Niro, who won Best Supporting Actor for that performance. Talia Shire plays one of the so there are the four brothers and then a sister, mm-hmm. so she's in it. Connie. Um, and she's married to some guy who's abusive to her. Carlo. He ends up getting killed for whooping her ass. Um, well, no, he gets killed. He gets beat by Sonny for whipping her ass, but then uh, they use his hot-headedness oh, yeah. to trap him, and Pacino, or Michael, finds out about it. They tra- it's be- Talia Shire's husband is the reason Sonny was killed, because he tells them like where he's headed off to. And anyway, there is a lot going on. It feels like it could have been like two movies, <laughs> maybe. Um, but again, super well done. I mean, this kind of changed filmmaking. Yeah, it. I mean, it felt very long to me. And then it was kind of like I'm having a hard time remembering who's who. And because they keep saying like the Taglias and the blah, blah, blah. It's oh, like, see, I, did, I, I think it's, I think it's considering all of the, the details, I didn't have a hard time, but um, it's just not my type sure. of storytelling. Like I, I, yeah, it, it's not, uh, how, how do I say it? It's very good storytelling with very good acting. The story itself isn't that compelling to me. Like there are no gags. It's not. I you think know, it's all very predictable. Like I what's think if you, happen. I think if you appreciated this one, you'll probably like Godfather Two, which I think a lot of people consider even better. But I think it's a very well done film, and Marlon Brando does a very good job. And Mario Puzo adapted his own best selling novel. Uh, and it was a lens by Gordon Willis, who I think is a a phenomenal and also underrated cinematographer. I think his only two Oscar not because he did a lot of Woody Allen films at one point, including Manhattan. He was really well known for doing um, how he uh, kind of could get darkness on screen. He he actually directed one movie called Windows, which is <laughs> a terrible kind of exploitative film. With a, but there, I very I remember uh, Talia Shire's in that, but Elizabeth Ashley's this lesbian stalker. And there's one scene that is really creepy with, you can just see it's completely dark and you can see, barely see the outline of Elizabeth Ashley's face. Anyway, Gordon Willis, expert cinematographer. Side note, we just received a comment about uh, gang related. Um, what about listen to last week's podcast. And so they decided to watch it and they were howling. <laughs> so I'm glad they appreciated it. Um, okay. I'm just going to go through my notes. So the opening of The Godfather is very strong because we see that 
Talia Shire is getting married. Mm-hmm. And so there's this huge wedding and all the politics and the pomp and circumstance involved with it. But it also does a really good job of showing like how people respect the Don. Mm-hmm. Or the, I guess they call him the Godfather. Mm-hmm. So um, it opens with a, a character who I believe is like a mortician mm-hmm. asking the Godfather for help because his daughter was like, gang raped i think and beaten and beaten and he's like i need you to kill them and marlon brando's like don't come to me asking for shit when you haven't even attempted to be my friend mm-hmm. you don't respect me <laughs> i thought that was so good mm-hmm. i feel like that's some shit i would say like yeah so he so it did a really good job of establishing who this character is and what he's about I thought it was very strong. And then it's such a great way to also weave in all the other people mm-hmm. like Al Pacino and his girlfriend, Diane Keaton, who Kay. I could not stand. But then you said something that made sense. Cause I'm like, why would he even be with her? Um, well, cause it's the late forties at this point. But, but then you said that probably it's like a vestige of normalcy. And it's, that's why, cause he, she's annoying from the get go. She is. Because it's like she's acting like she doesn't understand what this family's about. And he's telling her point blank, like, oh, my dad kills people like if he has to to get things done. Like when he makes them an offer, they can't refuse. Yeah. So she, she's annoying. And then when he then the, the, you know, the middle segment of Al Pacino going to Sicily and marrying some other woman and then he returns and hasn't seen Diane Keaton in a year. Um, he decides to get back with her and then. I guess it does make sense, like you said, that maybe he was just, he, he wanted something maybe as a reminder of his previous life. I, yeah, it's a, the, the, that white, white picket fence American dream that was always maybe out of his reach because of his family. And, you, and you know, her uh, being naive, people didn't know, I, I think, unless you were involved in some way with the family or had some kind of brush up with them, some like Midwestern type, middle american white girl yeah is you know that's not going to seem she's not going to seem very savvy well to be fair during that time period i mean a lot of women didn't weren't abreast on like their financial effect you know like a lot of men kept a lot of that from women Mm -hmm. so it's not like she's unusual in that i just thought she was annoying Mm -hmm. but going back to the wedding there's a cameraman there and everyone is upset that this cameraman is taking pictures to the point where they even break his camera well which was confusing to me like why did you have a cameraman there if no one wants to have their picture taken because he's taking pictures of the wrong kind of people sure namely um like other mob Brazzini, the Richard Conti. He doesn't want to be photographed because the FBI is also there writing down everybody's license plate numbers. Uh, the man who ends up getting killed by the, the mob boss who wants to run drugs. The, in the opening of the film in, at the wedding, we see him practicing the speech. He's going to give the Godfather. Oh, um, <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> yeah. Luca Brasi. Yeah. We see him practice the heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see him practicing it. And then when he finally does give it, he flubs it. He does. I was nervous for him. He made me nervous. And he's not asking for anything. He's just like paying his respects. And he gives money to like the wedding mm-hmm. purse or the bridal purse. But um, yeah, it was, there's a lot of tension. Just, I think the Marlon Brando character is so well done. Oh yeah. Cause it's like people fear him. And then when he is incapacitated, that's when it, it's like, um, like opportunity strikes uh-huh. and everyone jumps on it. Cause now he's weak. 
So I thought that was very well done. Then there's another character, a famous like singer actor who you said might be modeled after Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. Who? Well, the rumor always was that 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 is a stunt. That's Al Martino playing Johnny Fontaine. That's the stunt Sinatra played to get his role in From Here to Eternity, which won him an Oscar. So Johnny Fontaine asks the Godfather if he can help him get the role in a particular movie. So the Godfather blesses him and sends out his um, consigliere. He he blesses him after he emasculates him. But sure. Um, he sends his consigliere out there uh, to Hollywood to talk to this director. Duvall. Mm-hmm. Robert Duvall goes out there to talk to this director. And this old racist-ass director is acting real loose and wild. And Robert Duvall is so good because he's very calm. In every scene, he's so calm. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right. Because the, the guy, the director cusses him out and says, like, 100% no. I am not giving Johnny Fontaine this role. So you go, you go run tell that. And Robert Duvall's like, okay, could you give me a car to the airport now? My boss likes to hear bad news immediately. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to like the next morning when that director wakes up in bed, he's covered in blood. And I'm like, oh my God, like, where is this blood from? In the previous scene, we see that he has like this prize winning thoroughbred horse. Six thousand dollars. He paid six hundred thousand dollars. Six hundred thousand, yeah. And can you imagine six hundred thousand dollars in nineteen forty, whatever? Mm-hmm. Like they had the head of that horse chopped off and put in bed with that man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that took my breath away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a very famous scene. Yeah, I love how like cold blooded they are, but it's all very like precise and like emotionless. It is, but and they also have these like rules that they can't break. Usually regarding family and and things that are seem so arbitrary. It's like, but you out here killing folks. There's a scene where they shoot someone. Because they like to take people in the car and go drive somewhere yeah. and shoot them in the head. And there's one point where someone gets shot and then the, the guy in charge is like, well, leave the gun, but take the cannoli. I think that line was, uh, um, it, isn't that Clemenza? I, that I, made me laugh. I think he ad-libbed that line. Um, uh, cannoli comes up uh, There's a useful tool, by the way, in Godfather 3. Another really good segment of the film is when, because first when Al Pacino proposes that he kill the police captain, Mm-hmm. his brothers laugh at him mm-hmm. and then you can see he's mad like i'm gonna show you and then the entire segment where they're planning it because basically they plan to go meet this mob boss that they want to kill with the police captain and then they're like well they're gonna frisk you and they're gonna know you're gonna be followed so they're gonna play all these tricks so the only way we can get ahead of them is we're gonna find out where the meeting's happening like where the secret meeting's happening and then we're gonna plant a gun in the bathroom so then you're going to go, they're going to try to outrun us and confuse us, but it doesn't matter because we already know where you're going. And then while you're meeting with them, you're going to get up to go to the bathroom, take the gun and kill both of them. And I thought that scene was very well done because well I was very nervous. Mm-hmm. And up until he shoots them, I wasn't sure he was going to do it because mm-hmm. when he walks out of the bathroom, his hands are empty. Like He looks not, like he had second thoughts. He looks like he has second thoughts. And then... When he gets up and shoots him and runs out, I thought that was so good. <laughs> okay, then when he goes to Sicily, he which you know we just watched White Lotus season two, and they bring up that scene with the car that's referenced in yeah the woman he ends up marrying. He is teaching her how to drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I didn't pick that up, but um, I think kind of a weak part of the story to me is 
him meeting this woman in Sicily. I didn't understand why he was so adamant about marrying this woman. Like, what purpose did it serve? Like, you know, you're not here permanently. And then doesn't his wife end up getting killed? Yeah, she dies in the car. The, the That's car right. Explosion. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like. He knows he can't. Like the the first time we meet him in Sicily, we're told that like the the people who are after him know he's here, so mm-hmm. you're gonna have to be moved. So I mean, I think it's to show that there's a side of him that is very impulsive, and that he is will get what he wants. He is starting to learn that he can get what he wants. I think that's a that what what you're saying makes sense to me. But yeah, that that segment was probably the weakest to me. I think he's starting to flex at at this point because he's just committed this murder. He's murdered a police captain. Yeah, that makes sense. I still thought it was the weakest part, but that does make sense. Um, Oh my god, so. Talia Shire's character, her husband hits her, mm-hmm. and then her brother James Khan finds out and immediately <laughs> runs and go and goes to whoop her husband's ass. And then, so then there's that. Then we see that now she's very pregnant, mm-hmm. and she's at home cooking dinner for her husband, who's not home. Oh, oh no, no, he is he's... home. And then the phone rings, and it's some woman <laughs> talking about, "Well, tell him I'm running a little late." Mm-hmm. And she already knows that he's supposed to go have dinner. Mm-hmm. So she knows he's going to meet this woman. And she throws a fit. She yep. is tearing up the kitchen, dinner, everything. And then her husband whoops her ass mm-hmm. with a belt. Mm-hmm. And she is fully pregnant. And then she... I, see, I was sitting on the couch like Macaulay Culkin at Home Alone with my hands to my face like, oh my God. And of course, you know, she's Coppola's sister. Um, but she is more frustrating to me than Thank Kay. You. Yeah. She is... But it also makes sense to me. See, she makes sense. I also agree she was annoying, but she makes sense to me in that she's probably a brat, which her husband calls yeah. her. Like, my dad is the godfather. I get what I want. I married this man who clearly is not into me. He he just wanted to marry a, into the family. Into the family. Yeah. But yeah, she's annoying. Like, girl. Well, yeah, because then, of course. Uh, How the, are you letting this man beat on you when you know you could have him killed in a minute? Like, like Michael murders <laughs> Carlo. Has Carlo murdered? And Carlo was the reason that Sonny got murdered after he he orchestrated that beating of you because, you know, you're going to act out so you could get Sonny over there and compromise. And then you castigate your brother for killing your dumbass husband. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're going to be fine. It's the, the, don't give me that. I'm going to be a single mom bullshit. There's another scene towards the end, like after because, you know, now Marlon Brando's all sick, but he's recovered enough that he can take a meeting with all the other mob bosses. So they're all like in a conference room, which I thought looked like they had all like the regional managers yeah. together <laughs> talking about how they're going to move forward. And Marlon Brando agrees like, OK, I, I guess we got to run these drugs because that's what everyone wants. Um. I thought that was a good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because another guy stands up and it's like, I paid my people extra not to get involved with drugs, but it's it's not enough. Like, the, it's coming. That's all I have. Um, uh, it's funny. Pacino, Duvall, and uh, James Caan were all up against each other for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars that year. Uh, Marlon Brando, of course, won his second Oscar and won Best Picture and I think Screenplay. Uh, just... I, I, it was a real treat getting to rewatch it, I think. I can definitely um, see why this one best picture. And Marlon Brando, I thought, did a phenomenal job. Yeah, he's really Everyone good. does a good job. I would give this film four out of five. Mm-hmm. What would you give it? I gave it five out of five. Five out of five? I, I think this and Godfather 2 are 
I think those are masterpieces. But um, I'll definitely watch Godfather two at a later date. Yeah, well, then you, and you'll have to finish it out with Godfather three, which is kind of a major letdown in a lot of ways, hmm. partially due to Sofia Coppola. But oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to rewatch it, but I I think they're very well done uh, familial crime sagas that nothing else is really like and. I, I wasn't interested in watching it at the time, but um, there's that series that was made about the making of The Godfather because, of course, there's a major story behind that starring Miles Teller. It's called The Offer. Um, I heard that's interesting. So maybe eventually I'll give that a watch after rewatching all of these. But Well, um, you're about to wrap up your 100th episode. How do you feel? I feel uh, enriched and livened. Enlivened? How do you, you feel? Okay. Hmm. Are you reading anything? I am. I'm reading a couple things. I'm reading three plays by August Strindberg for inspiration uh, as I'm crafting something myself. He's Strindberg is really interesting. Um, wrote so many things, books, uh, but best known for his plays. And he's also very well known as being a horrible misogynist. But it's funny because he's written great roles for women. And he's, his biggest known play is probably Miss Julie. Hmm. Um, and then I'm also reading Julia by Peter Straub, uh, which I have read before. I read it. I had to sneak read that as a kid. Peter Straub uh, on his own, I think, would be best known for the his I think his debut novel, Ghost Story, which was made into a very famous film starring a bunch of old men, including Melvin Douglas and, and uh, Patricia Neal and Alice Kriege uh, is in that film from the early eighties. Uh, but he co-wrote two books with Stephen Stephon King, including the talisman and black house. Anyway, I remember reading Julia as a kid. And then some years later, I happened to see it. It might've been on cable one night, a film version of it starring Mia Farrow called the haunting of Julia. And I remember liking it, particularly the very end. I remember being so creeped out at the very end of this film and shout factory is releasing it for the first time on Blu-ray next month. So I wanted to reread Julia, uh, for whatever reason in my little mind before rewatching that movie, which I'm sure I'll have you watch with me. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say? No. All right. Ta-ta for now. Bye.